should burn the bodies. You should. What do you want me to do with this? Wear it. Burn it. Whatever you want. You have Castle Black. My watch is ended. Game of Thrones. Oh my god. There's dragons. Gotta watch it. You see them. There's this fight scene with his hair. And some of them really smart. Mr. Kari's me. I cannot give you back your homes or restore your dead to life, but perhaps I can give you justice in the name of our king. Dracarys. Welcome back to the Coffee Clatch Crew Game of Thrones episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are reviewing Season 6, Episode 3, Oathbreaker. Directed by Daniel Sackheim again and written by Benioff and Weiss. This episode had 7.2 million viewers, so down just slightly from the last one. Just a note, we forgot to talk about Daniel Sackheim last time. He is new to Game of Thrones. Things you may know him for, directing in the past, X-Files, Law and Order, House, The Americans, and The Walking Dead. Oh, that's why I had a slower pace to it. <laughs> so, Walking Dead pace. <laughs> he's no stranger to directing, even though he's new to GOT. I'm going to give you a few other fun facts about the show in general that we forgot to do last episode because we had so much to cover. Some information about the filming. They talked about this past season, how they used... 3.7 million feet of film. They shot in five different countries, including Northern Ireland, Spain, Croatia, Iceland, and Canada. They had 900 crew members, 140 script revisions, and 10 million per episode. That's how much it cost? Well, up to. That was their peak. But wow. you know, when they first started, I think it was 2 million was their cap, and that was on the really extravagant sort of battle scene episodes. You can see just in their viewership, season one, the average episode had 2.5 million viewers. That steadily increased throughout until season six, we've had about 7.9 million viewers per episode. I wonder if uh, having HBO Now helps too now, so people don't have to go through their cable provider. They can yeah. just pay nine ninety nine, I believe it is, for HBO. I'm sure that it does. Well, they also went up in their filming units. Apparently, they started out with two simultaneous units, which is unusual for most TV shows. It's kind of cute. They named them the Wolf Unit and the Dragon Unit. And later, they added a third, which they called the Raven Unit. And that's now called the White Walker Unit. Oh. And for those of you who just it's a cold can't... unit, basically? The <laughs> people that have to work in the cold. I would imagine, yeah. That, that's got to be a hard job. For those of you who just can't get enough of Game of Thrones, obviously we want you to come here and listen to our podcast. Of course. But it's kind of nice now. They also have this new thing that's airing on HBO Mondays after the new episodes air. It's called After the Thrones with Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan. Yeah, I, I enjoyed watching it. One thing that they have that we lack is the visuals. So when they're speaking about something, they have a TV behind them or to the side of them because they're facing each other. Mm-hmm. And it has the map showing where they are talking about mm. specifically, which is, I know it's a visual aid that really helps, especially with such a vast environment. Yeah, absolutely. I was showing you for the first time today the map really of the whole world. So for those of you who didn't read the books, you think about the whole world as being Westeros. It, there's actually two gigantic continents. Uh, the other one is Essos, and that's even bigger than Westeros. That's where the Free Cities are, the Dothraki Sea, where Daenerys is in Marine. It's like Europe to our North America. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to talk about that a little bit as we move through today's episode, the different locations. And we'll put a picture of the map up, maybe yeah. on Facebook that we're using. Facebook, and we'll also use, uh, we'll put it on our blog. 
getting into episode three, Oathbreaker, I just want to talk about the title. This could have a lot of meanings. We like to go into that often. It could refer to John breaking his nice watch vows, although technically he didn't really do that. We discussed that last episode. Or uh, small John Umber breaking his vows of loyalty to the Starks and deciding to go over to the Boltons. Although we but don't that kind of happened last episode. No, uh, last we saw the Car Starks do oh, that. So those mad people doing it. Now we saw the Umbers, and the Umbers are supposed to be one of the most loyal families to the Starks. However, I don't really think they have betrayed them. Also, we had some interesting things happening in the title sequence. Vase Dothrak return to our map when they go over the Dothraki Sea. We zoom back in on that. I think it's been since maybe episode two that we've seen it. Bravos disappeared from the map. I don't know what that means. Well, uh, Dothrak, just to remind uh, the listeners, what location is that? That's the only real city in the Dothraki Sea where they've taken Daenerys to be with those old crones and she's not allowed to leave. That's right. Okay. Yeah, but Bravos has been on the map for quite a while now, and even though it's not as big of a location, we have consistently seen Arya there training. Yeah, I don't know. You you thought it was foreshadowing that she might be leaving, or she, you thought of it for a moment. Mm-hmm. I think they said they ran out of time for the 90-second sequence. I think that might be true because that's the longest segment because you watch the, the coin roll down. So you're on that part longer. And I get that, but I think they could have shortened it. I mean, the thing is, since season one, locations are on there when a place is important, and they're going over it, and they disappear when it's not. And that has always been a rule. It's not like we took someplace out because we didn't have enough time. They just move quicker. Um, There was another indication here, too, because for the first time ever, they only passed over King's Landing. They Mm -hmm. didn't do the zoom in. They, They just did kind of a flyby. Right. So I'm wondering if they're going to start using this as a device to show us when places are going to become less relevant. Perhaps. You know, it, all, it could also be um, a deeper meaning. Arya, you know, I think, we think at least, becomes a nobody. Mm. A no one. So if you're a no one, does that mean that you reside nowhere? <laughs> That's interesting. That's a that good might be thought. too deep, though. It might be pulling a straws there but i think it's perfect for game of thrones exactly the way i was picturing what's happening in king's landing that they're sort of starting to implode in on themselves and before long they're going to become completely irrelevant the rest of the world has already seen that this political struggle for the throne is really far less important than everything that's happening with the white walkers and you know everything else in the world yeah So we have a lot to talk about today, quite a few locations, and as I was watching this episode, I didn't really feel like a lot happened at the time. I was starting to get frustrated that episode two had such a fast pace, so much information and action being delivered, and this felt like taking a big step back in certain ways. Um, We spent some time in areas where I didn't feel like a lot was really gaining momentum or they were just repeating information that we already knew. But going through it as we did, there is some background, some history that we can give you to make yeah. this episode come to life a of little course. more. Also, you know, when you when we spoke on the phone and you said uh, you weren't too sure about this episode, I I disagreed, and I think you're on board with that now too. It, yes, it was not as fast paced. Mm-hmm. So that momentum that we spoke about uh, in our last podcast uh, kind of took a back seat, but there was so much more information packed within this episode that I think it more than made up for the momentum. See, I don't know about the information piece, though, because I feel like they gave you a lot, but a lot of it we already knew. It was more like alluding to further information to come. Or for book readers, giving you a glimpse that, oh, remember all of this stuff that happened in the book in in the background in previous years? Uh, that's going to become relevant now. So, you know, for those of you who didn't read, we're going to give you pieces of that as we go along to flesh things out a little bit better. Uh, We'll try to keep it moving quickly. And just in case you don't want to know any of this stuff, because some of it is unique to the book so far, not yet in the TV show, massive spoiler warnings, theories, histories are going to be in here if you don't want to hear it. Um, Maybe not the best episode for you, but we'll we'll try to keep it uh, a little bit mild. Also, we're, no, nothing we say will be definitive. So we're not going to tell you that Jon Snow loses a finger. Exactly. Next episode. It's uh, theory. It's book reader theory. Absolutely. 
So let's make our way through the locations by map. We'll start off in the north. We're gonna look in on Bran, who gets a vision. This time he sees his father, Ned, a bit older, with his friend Howland Reed and several other northerners. Get into what happened in the vision. I just wanna tell you a little about who Howland Reed is. So people saw this guy, he's very close to younger Ned Stark in the vision. He winds up saving his butt by the end of the vision. And they were asking, who is this guy that kind of came out of nowhere? Some of you may recognize his name because he is father to Mira and Jojen Reed. They are the kids that went with Bran to keep him safe and have been traveling with him. Jojen died last season, but we still have Mira with him. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that right away. It's those details. You know, I get lost in what's going on and just trying to figure out, okay, who's that? Oh, my God, that's Ned Stark. <laughs> and then I'm like, who's that dude? And then I just kind of forget about who he is or I, I don't even have time to piece that name together because then they start speaking in this older language and I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, even the book readers don't know a lot about Howland Reed. His people, where he comes from, it's all very mysterious. He's the Lord of Greywater Watch. This is an area that's just north of the Twins, if you can imagine it on the map, where the Freys live. They call them Kranigmen, the people that inhabit this region, which is the Neck. Uh, sometimes derisively they call them frog eaters because they live in the swamplands and that's how they have to figure out how to get their food. They keep to themselves, they rarely travel beyond their borders, sort of a secretive bunch, but they have been very loyal to the Starks, and especially Howland, as we do see in this vision. So when Ned and his men get there, they meet these two other guys, soldiers that are guarding this place that's called the Tower of Joy. The two soldiers are Sir Arthur Dane, who they call the Sword of the Morning, and he's supposed to be the best swordsman his father ever saw, probably the best swordsman in all badass. of the Seven Kingdoms. Two against seven. He's yeah. the one dude. Yeah, and the other guy is Sir Gerald Hightower. He was the current Lord Commander of the Kingsguard at the time. The place where they're at, again, is called the Tower of Joy. Now, this is in the Red Mountains of Dorne, actually. I didn't realize that. I knew it was somewhere kind of out of the way where they had stashed Liana to try to keep her safe, but I wasn't sure where. And um, all of this is happening during the climax of Robert's Rebellion, during the battle. We see the vision start out with the younger Ned telling them that Prince Rhaegar and the Mad King had been killed, and he was wondering why this guy, Sir Arthur Dane, wasn't at the battle. And Dane says he was ordered to stay at the tower. It means something important has to be going on there. We don't really know what yet. Uh, Ned demands to know where his sister is, where is she being kept, and a battle ensues. They start fighting each other. Like you said, clearly this guy, Sir Arthur Dane, is amazing because he's taking him down one right after the next. Dual swords, you know how heavy those swords are. Yeah, and you can see that Bran is confused while this is going on, right? It looks like this guy is getting the better of them. And he's thinking, but I remember my father telling me these stories when I was younger, and he always told me about how he defeated this guy, Dane. When it comes right down to it, he actually doesn't. It's the injured Howlin' Reed who gets up off the floor and winds up stabbing the guy in the back. Wait, uh, before we go any further, um, do you think that Arthur Dane is a better fighter than Oberon was. The way they describe him in the books, yeah. He was one of the best swordsmen that ever lived. Wow. That says a lot. Yeah. So he could he would have beat the mountain as well. I think that if you can best the mountain, you have a pretty good chance. One of the, the greatest things he has going for him is his size and his strength. But we saw that Oberon was almost able to defeat him by being quicker. He pretty much did defeat him. He got cocky. Mm -hmm. He was defeated. Then if he just went with it and didn't look up and give his little warrior <laughs> stare, his touchdown dance. So what do you think, though, about Howland stabbing him in the back? I mean, this really goes against northern tradition with how you're supposed to fight and what's honorable. Like war code, right? Mm-hmm. In their eyes, Ned's his best friend, and Ned's sister is captured mm -hmm. there in their eyes. Mm -hmm. So fuck it. I don't know. That, that's how I'd be. They're that close. They have to do whatever it takes. Yeah. It's a shame, though, because Arthur Dane was badass. Well, and seconds later, we do hear a woman scream from the tower, and the three-eyed raven actually starts to end the vision. He tries to get Bran out of there and says this is meant for another time for them to see the rest of it. But Bran really wants to stay. He starts following his father, and he calls out to him, and his father turns. He hears him. That's do you think insane. he does hear him? <clears throat> Absolutely. This is one of the things what I mean by 
a lot goes on in this episode. It's like little things that, no, it's not someone physically getting older or dying, but that's deep, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so in the wind, he heard his, well, he said father, right? Yeah. So he heard a child say father. So I'm, I'm sure he wasn't thinking that's my future son. But that just goes to how much power this kid has. Yeah, and I don't know if the raven knew that this was even possible, if this is why he's been trying to keep the vision short, because potentially something could happen like that. And, you know, Michelle was on our podcast last week talking about the same thing. Could he actually change the past yeah. by doing things like I this? I think he knew because he kind of spoke to Bran, right, throughout the journey in Whispers in the Wind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but we didn't know if that was some other kind of power that he had or if he really could change these events in the past that have already happened. You know, because it looked like he was talking to Bran in the present through his dreams. Right. Um, these, these are things that have already occurred. It's like, how That's is that insane. possible? Yeah. Um, and clearly the raven wants none of this because then he pulls him out of the vision and they go back to the cave and Bran's sort of demanding to know what happened and the raven says that eventually he will learn everything that's, a, that's deep too I, he's the most powerful in this kingdom it's kind of if ominous he can, if he can get all this power and control it mm -hmm. and realize how immense it is he he'll be the most powerful in the kingdom yeah ominous well the way he said everything almost like he's gonna learn these really important events maybe even more than he ever wanted to know uh, let's not forget Bran's still kind of a child i mean i know he looks like a man on screen now but <laughs> this is a lot to absorb a lot of responsibility that yeah, i think he's and with that knowledge comes a lot of pain so i think the three-eyed raven knows that with mm. this you'll feel pain you'll feel hurt and maybe it was too much like you can only feed him a little bit at a time or else you know he'll die in the matrix <laughs> essentially you know get lost in these visions i just want to read real quick and i'm probably going to read badly <laughs> um what ned and arthur dane said to each other oh, this is okay. what i said when uh i was trying to understand what they're saying and i'm still thinking in my head who's that cat behind <laughs> him so this is what happens i looked for you in the trident ned said to them okay pause already trident what's that yeah, I'm going to explain all of that in a little history okay. lesson all in right, a minute. Great. So keep that one noted. We weren't there. Your friend, the usurper, would lie beneath the ground if we had been. Said Sir Oswell. That's Robert, who's waging the war right now. They called him the usurper. Okay. When King's Landing fell, Sir Jamie slew your king with a golden sword, and I wondered where you were. Far away, Sir Gerald said. Or... Ares would yet sit in the Iron Throne, and our false brother would burn in seven hells. I came down on Storm's End to lift the siege, Ned told them, and the Lords Tyreland Redine <laughs> dipped. <laughs> Tyrell and Redwin. Yes, that's what I said. Dipped their banners, and all their knights bent the knee to pledge us fealty. Mm -hmm. I was certain you would be among them. Our knees do not bend easily, said Sir Arthur Dane. Mm-hmm. Sir William Derry is fled to Dragonstone with her queen and Prince Viserys. I thought you might have sailed with him. Sir William is a good man and true, said Sir Oswell, but not of the king's guard, Sir Gerald pointed out. The king's guard does not flee. Then or now, said Sir Arthur, he doned his helm. <laughs> we swore a vow, explained old Sir Gerald. Gerald, fuck. Ned's wraths moved up beside him with shadow swords in hand. They were seven against three. And now it begins. No. Now it ends. So that's, you know, like, fuck, man. Just use regular language. Let me know what's going on. Well, here's the thing. They did blow past all of the history of what was happening at the time, Robert's Rebellion, that you don't really know a lot about if you haven't read the books because the TV show starts right after the war ended. You know, we've had this time now, many years of peace, and Ned's living up north. Robert wants him to come back. You don't know the events that led up to that peace. Right. So that's why I want to give you a little bit about Robert's Rebellion and what was happening during this war. 
Okay, it was one of the last great civil wars among the big houses. It took place approximately 17 years before the TV series began. So a little ways before, actually. And it lasted about a year. At the time, the Mad King Ares, we've heard about him talked many of times, he was the king and the last member of House Targaryen to sit on the Iron Throne. Because of his madness, tensions were high in the kingdom. A lot of people talked about rebelling. But the straw that finally broke the camel's back, Robert at the time was betrothed to Ned's sister, Lyanna. We've learned this along the way. And he actually loved her very much. He really cared about her. They heard through the grapevine, it was said that Prince Rhaegar had abducted and possibly raped Lyanna and was holding her captive somewhere. In case you've forgotten, Prince Rhaegar is Aerys' oldest son, so he was going to be heir to the throne. He would be the one ruling once the Mad King died. He's also Danny's older brother, who she never met. Now, while it was talked about that Prince Rhaegar may have actually loved Lyanna as well, and they might have had some sort of secret love affair going on, he was actually married or betrothed. No, he must have been married. They had kids. He was married to Elia Martell of Dorne. And this is the woman that Oberyn and a lot of people in Dorne wanted vengeance for. When Oberyn fought the mountain and he kept saying, you raped her, you murdered her, you killed her children. So she was one of the Martells and she was kind of held captive during this war in King's Landing. And eventually when the city was sacked, the mountain raped and killed her and her children. So that's who Prince Rhaegar was with, but their stories, did he kidnap and rape Lyanna or were they actually in love, as a lot of people believe? Either way, Ned and Robert are both rightfully furious about this. They decide they have to go get her back. While this is going on, Lord Rickard Stark, who's Ned's father, and Brandon Stark, Ned's older brother, decided enough is enough. They went to demand justice from King Ares and King's Landing in person, and they were brutally killed and even roasted alive in their armor. Luckily, Ned and Rob weren't a part of this because, as you know, they were being fostered by John Aaron in the Erie, kind of raised up there together like brothers. And, you know, Ares had demanded that they be turned over as well, but John Aaron refused, and he raised his banners. He became part of the war as well. And an alliance was really forged between the Tullys and the Starks when Ned was betrothed to Catelyn Tully. This is how all these alliances were being formed and they were getting people together to go and fight the Targaryen kings and take them down once and for all. They've been ruling far too long and half of them are mad and the people don't want that anymore. So Robert goes to war and he meets up with Rhaegar on the Trident. When you said, where is the Trident? That's a location that you can see on the map here. It's sort of just north of Harrenhal in the Riverlands. And they fight there, and Robert eventually smashes Rhaegar with his warhammer until all the rubies fly off his, his armor and into the, the water. <laughs> and half of the people that are supposed to be fighting are running and jumping into the water, to chasing the after the rubies. Oh and that's why Ever After it was called the Ruby Ford. While he's there fighting... Ned and his team of men are going to try to rescue Lyanna from the Tower of Joy, which is what we're seeing in the the scene here in the vision. And, you know, just another sidebar when you were talking about Storm's End. Also at the same time, Robert has one of his younger brothers, Stannis, holding Storm's End for him. Storm's End is in the Stormlands and just on the coast by the Narrow Sea. So Stannis is holding this against the Tyrells, who are fighting for the Targaryens at the time, trying to starve them out. They actually did almost starve them to death until Davos managed to smuggle in onions for Stannis, and that's how he became known as the Onion Knight, that he <laughs> saved the day for him and his men that were dying in this castle. We know that the Lannisters eventually betrayed the Targaryen loyalty. Jaime came in and he killed Ares, and to ally with the Lannisters when Lyanna finally died, Robert agreed to marry Cersei. Elia Martell was killed. And a pregnant Queen Rhaella, Ares' wife, fled to the Targaryen seat on the Isle of Dragonstone with her son Viserys. There she gave birth to Danny. She ended up dying in childbirth. And the children were taken over to the Free Cities so that they could get away and escape. Stannis went on to conquer Dragonstone after that as well. So all this is happening 
during that time that we see the flashback. Yeah, this is the big rebellion that we hear a lot about later. You know, this is hundreds and, and thousands, I think, of years that the Targaryens have been ruling since they came over from Valyria. They've been running Westeros, essentially. And many people might not realize how big of a deal it was that somebody like Robert finally brought this dynasty down. So while you don't have a ton going on screen in the north, these visions are giving us a great view into a vast and wider world yeah. of A Song of Ice and Fire. Why, in this vision, how come there, was no, there wasn't more emphasis on Sir Arthur Dane's sword, Dawn? Yeah, that's an interesting story in and of itself, right? Uh, anybody that owned it was called the Sword of the Morning because it was the sword, essentially, that was so great. And if you wielded it, you were bound to be a great knight, too. And it was Valyrian steel. And that was only one of his swords. He had two. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the big deal for the book readers was, yeah, this was a great vision, but it was cut off right before what we actually wanted to see, which is what is happening inside of that tower. Is Lyanna, in fact, giving birth to a baby Jon Snow? Yeah. I don't mind that. I don't mind that they cut it off. It's one step closer. Um, they already showed us that Jon Snow's alive. Jon Snow 2.0 He's alive <laughs> and he's he seems alright. Uh, he's got a shadow hanging over him. Depression and doubts, but he doesn't seem evil. He doesn't seem too much like he lost himself. Maybe he lost some of his uh, chivalry, maybe, or you know, his yeah, I think he lost something, and let, let's go over and talk about him next. We're going back to him after last episode to see him wake up and what he's going through, and Davos and Melisandre are there, and they're asking him what he remembers, and he says, after the assassination, nothing. So is this what this means, that there's nothing after death? A lot of us were thinking maybe he went into ghost for a little while, or something would happen, but anyhow, Melisandre goes on to tell John that maybe her religious prophecies were true this prince that was promised it just wasn't stannis it was john her hope mm -hmm. is renewed a bit i think she, i mean she did it she raised yeah. him from the dead that's got to put the faith back into her right one would think and then john goes back into the courtyard to meet with the wildlings he's greeted by dollar said who is glad to see that his eyes aren't blue half a joke but really true we thought he could come back as a white walker and Tormund's telling him that the wildlings actually think he's a god who's come back from the dead. I, I do remember that, but I do remember also, like, uh, when he walks out for the first time and everyone's standing there, it felt weird just because everyone was just kind of staring. It felt anticlimactic. Like, uh, shouldn't they be cheering or something? No, they were, I think they were almost scared in one sense, in awe, in another. Like he was saying, it was almost like this guy is a god. He came back from the dead. And I think he would have had a much easier time going about and ruling things now, actually, with this uh, respect that he's inspired in people. And he does do his responsibility here. He does preside over the hanging of Alistair Thorne, Ali, Athel Yarwick, and Bowen Marsh. And he gets some last words from them that I really think impacted him. I think Alistair's final statement to him, he said that he only did what he thought was right for the Night's Watch. And while he'll now be able to rest, John will be fighting these battles for the rest of his life. Between that and the look that Ollie gave him when he died, I think John was thinking, he can't do this anymore. And that's a huge crisis of faith, responsibility, duty. I mean, the old Jon Snow would not just walk away from he has spent all of this time going fighting for his life at Hardhome, convincing the wildlings to come with him for the first time in history, them coming south of the wall, potentially joining up with the Night's Watch. They have White Walkers coming, <laughs> for God's yeah. sake. Lots of them. So nothing is more important than this battle that's about to come. And we think John is going to be the one to lead us through all of this. Where is he going? Mm -hmm. You know, that's not Jon Snow. And the key quote, my watch has ended. Yeah. Oh, he, that's deep. He gives the wall over to, to Dolores Ed and um, he pieces out somewhere. Yeah. So I, I'm very anxious to see, you know, is this actually a changed John because he came back different? He lost a piece of his, himself, as we've heard them say happens when you're resurrected. Mm -hmm. 
Or is it just something normal that you would experience when people betray you, they stab you to death? Uh, you've seen all of this really scary stuff happening, destruction, impending doom, um, and you know, that's never gonna end. I, I have a feeling if he had somebody like Maester Eamon here at this time to tell him, give him some inspiring words that yeah. maybe that wouldn't have happened. But I kind of thought that Davos's speech had done that until he went out there. Yeah, I think so too. And the fact that he's walking away from, you know, all that work he got to be, to get the wildlings to trust him. Mm. And they trusted him so much where they fought for him. And Tormund is totally on his side now. He has Davos, who's a great right-hand man. Melisandre, whose magic is back and stronger than ever. He's taken out the key mutineers that staged this rebellion. You would think this would be a really great time to take back over the rule of the Night's Watch. I love how Tormund uh, hugs him and makes a joke about his penis size. <laughs> the size of his member. Yeah. He's always talking about his member. But is he really walking away from all them, or is he just walking, you know, to the, where they reside in the gift? Uh, yeah, I mean, is he just leaving being Lord Commander? Is he leaving the wall altogether? Could he potentially be going to Winterfell to finish what he thought about doing when Stannis offered him, you know, that the castle was taken by the Boltons and... But alone, I don't think he's that dumb. Mm, well, maybe all, we just haven't seen the second part of this plan that he's what brewing in his brain. Yeah, that's what I believe. Uh, but intense things are happening in Winterfell. Let's talk about that. We see a meeting between Ramsay and Harold Karstark. This is the guy you were talking about who betrayed the Starks last episode. But there's also a new guy, new to us anyhow, small John Umber. This is the eldest son of the Great John. You right, might remember him as the big man when Robert was first trying to get his armies, his northern bannermen together to go march south on King's Landing and the Lannisters. It was very important that he win one of these people over. And, it, you know, that was the Umbers. And the Kai came into the room and he's sort of banging on the table, real huge guy with a beard. And finally, <laughs> Grey Winds, Rob's direwolf leaps over the table and bites two fingers off of him. There's a really tense moment where you think that's going to be it, and then the guy just starts cracking up laughing, swears his fealty to Rob. Everybody's saying king in the north, and you realize this is a really important ally for these people. Uh, they rule the last hearth, which is the castle the closest to the wall, the farthest north in the region you can get, and we do hear Small John talking about that, that if the wildlings come south, they'll be the first to get hit. So he's looking to sort of team up with Ramsay. He doesn't want to officially swear fealty. He's refusing to kneel, but he's agreeing that they should work together against these wildlings and that Jon Snow has been letting them through. This is going to be a problem. And Ramsay's saying he wants to hear him say he's Lord of the North, Warden of the North, which is not really happening. Uh, Small John says he doesn't blame Ramsay for murdering Roose, so he knows that's a lie, that his father was poisoned by his enemies. He sees right through that. But he questions his loyalty. I mean, let's look at the wet Red Wedding betrayal. So he says instead of kneeling, he's going to strengthen the truce with a gift. And that's when he brings in Rick and Stark and Asha. Yep. Ugh. Gut punch so to the funny. stomach. You were just at, you were just saying last podcast, where's Rickon? Yeah. And here he is? Well, where he is was a big question because we all thought he was going to the Umbers to hide out. When he separated from Bran and Bran and company went north to keep going to the heart tree, Asha said she was going to take him somewhere safe and we thought it was going to be with the Umbers. So because of that and a couple other things in this scene, I'm thinking that this is not for real. The Umbers are not actually swearing their fealty to the Boltons. Yeah. Everybody knows what the Boltons are about. I think this is a ruse. He won't kneel. He won't. He's, he's being very slick about it. Um, this might be blind hope, but I don't think that's really the wolf that he brings in as proof that that's a Rick and Stark. Yep. Um, and Rick, they're both being quiet, Rick and, and the Wildling. Yeah, I agree. I heard another podcast talk about this, that the head looked a little small compared to when Rob's direwolf's, you know, the head was on a stake. It looked a lot larger than that. And 
Rickon and Asha are both kind of outspoken characters prior to this. You wouldn't think they would just be standing there dead silent, watching the dead wolf being paraded around. And yeah, the not kneeling thing is really the biggest thing because for Northerners, it's all about tradition and there's certain things they really honor. If you don't do that, you really haven't sworn your fealty to somebody. Right. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see. That could be wishful thinking, but I see a lot of indicators here that something fishy. Fishy in our in our favor, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping. I mean, right away he's he'll have the inside knowledge and he can project some damage there. Well, here comes a spoiler from the books if you're not interested. There was a part here, there's a town called White Harbor. It's actually the only real city that the North has. It's pretty large, a lot of trading goes on there. Davos had gone south to try to recruit people for Stannis' cause and to try to talk about aren't they still loyal to the North and don't they want to come fight in this dark memory? And it seemed like they were going over to the other side. But then the guy who's in charge, and of course I can't remember his name now, but he pulls Davos to the side later and says, listen, this is all a ruse. We're not actually going in with these people. We do still support the Starks, but we have to be careful about how we do this. We can't let the Boltons and all of them see what we're up to. So I think that it could be that the Umbers are playing the part that the people of White Harbor played in the books. Perhaps, yeah. I'm hoping. All right, speaking of moving around, let's go on to the Narrow Sea where there's a boat on its way to Old Town and we see Sam talking to Gilly, stating his intentions to leave her and the baby with his family at Horn Hill while he goes to the Citadel to train to be a maester. What do you think of this plan? Well, considering his options, that's the best he has. Yeah, but we know the history that the father hates Sam. Father's a dick. Was actually really close to killing Sam, partially because he kept telling his dad he wanted to be a maester. And oh, his wow. dad was telling him that Tarly men don't wear chains and they don't serve and you got to be your own man. And Sam wasn't very good at that. So he realized his younger son was growing up to be the kind of heir that he wanted. So he had to get rid of Sam somehow, the rightful heir to his kingdom. And so he shipped him off to the Night's Watch. But if he hadn't agreed to that, he was going to have him have a hunting accident oh boy. out in the woods somewhere. So A, he's not going to be pleased to see him again. B, he better not tell him he's going to become a maester. And C, it's probably safer to leave Gilly and the baby anywhere else than at this house. I don't know why he thinks this is smart. But he's kind of a new man. Maybe he'll show up and to his dad, stand up for himself, show his dad that he's badass now, and say, you're going to watch her. You're going to take care of her and the baby, and I'll be back. You know, maybe that'll be like another... If he can find his strength, that would certainly be great. I'll show you on a map. You have High Garden, where the Tyrells are from. You know, Marjorie and Loris and them. Just south of that is Horn Hill, where his family lives. So I guess he's planning on dropping her off there, because if you continue all the way out to the west coast, then you get to Old Town. It's very far south, really along the same lines as where Dorne is. I never realized that. And wait till you see, I cannot wait to see Old Town on the screen. The way they describe it in the books, it's said to be the most beautiful city in Westeros. It's only slightly smaller than King's Landing itself, and it is the oldest of the five major Westerosi cities. It was founded by the first men over 6,000 years ago. And they just describe it so beautifully. I think this is going to be a treat when we finally get there. Speaking of King's Landing, we get an interesting glimpse into the little birds that were formerly Varis that we heard a lot of. Oh, right, yeah. But never actually saw them. Here we see them on screen. They're actually the children of King's Landing, presumably Flea Bottom. They all look very poor and dirty. Yeah. And these are the spies. The Whispers so crazy I'm a little nervous for them that now Kyburn has inherited them he certainly is a bit more sinister I think than Varys ever was but do you think Varys is the type of man that would uh, just take off and not sustain you know the fingers he has everywhere no so I think he's definitely still got his yeah so maybe his loyalty. through these kids he's gonna find out more about uh <coughs> Cersei and 
Well, definitely could be, although I don't underestimate Kyburn either. He seems to be climbing pretty far, pretty fast in Cersei's very good graces. I mean, she trusts him implicitly after really what's probably been a very short time in the great scheme of things knowing this guy. But he's proven himself by giving her back the mountain, her new personal soldier to avenge all her enemies. You can see, though, the paranoia increasing with her. Now she's telling Kyburn she wants spies everywhere. You know, as far north, south, east, west, find out all my enemies, what they're saying about me, the rumors. I mean, she's kind of losing perspective, right? Uh, I think she's becoming desperate. Doesn't trust anybody. Desperate, certainly, and almost a bit pathetic. We see in the next scene when she goes with Jamie to interrupt the small council meeting. And you got... Kevin Lannister there, who's running things for the time being, Lady Olena, Mace Tyrell, and Grand Maester Pycelle. And they sort of just sit themselves down in there and say, you can't keep us out of here. We're going to be part of this. Uh, they start trying to tell them about how the Sand Sneaks have taken over Dorne, but the council doesn't want to hear anything about it. And they get up and basically say, we're leaving. Yeah. <laughs> so Kevin is putting his foot down, showing her that he doesn't have time for this petty bullshit. Somebody has to run the city. Although, I don't know if he realizes how tight the claws of the High Sparrow and all of these people are dug in, which we see in this last scene where Dom- Tommen goes to the Sept. It's very cute. It's like he's going to go in there and put his foot down and stand up for his mother, and it takes about two minutes of the High Sparrow talking to him to get him kind of brought over gently to see his side of things. Of course, the fact yeah. that his mother's a sinner and this is wrong and she's got to atone and, you know, poor Tommen just doesn't have a spine. He's just quickly... He's young. He's naive. And this guy's strength is not just the men behind him. It's his... the power of his word. His words. Uh. And the religion that he seems to really believe in. Yeah. But that religion's nothing without his mouth. Mm-hmm. Then we see going on in Bravos that in between training sessions, the Waif has been questioning Arya about who she used to be. Arya's telling her about the family and about her kill list, which has gotten really short. Did you notice that? Yeah, I think she just... I think this is... <laughs> I think she, in a, a part of her has become no one, but I think there's still Arya in there, and she's holding back from the full list. That's oh, the Arya that's still in is? her. Yeah. That's what I believe. I kind of think it's kind of true what you're saying, but maybe she's just narrowed it down to the most evil people that she, these are the ones she can't let go of. Perhaps. You know, Cersei Lannister, Gregor Clegane, which is the mountain, and Walder Frey. So those are the ones most responsible for hurting her family, and maybe she just can't not say them. She admits that she took the hound off this list before leaving him to die. And then Jack and Hagar comes in and takes her to the main chamber where he offers her sight back if she drinks from the poisonous pool and tells her, if you're truly no one, you have nothing to fear. Were you not on the edge of your seat thinking, what's going to happen? Well, yeah, because that pool we've seen being used where the person dies. Yeah. Poison. But, uh, you know, in the back of my head, I was like, well, maybe for her it won't be poison because she's a nobody now and they'll just cure her eyesight I was hoping but it really didn't seem like she is fully no one yet so it's another one of the tests where you know when she put the mask on she wasn't nobody and it made her blind so now I'm thinking maybe she's still not nobody yet what's gonna happen now but it seems like it worked and she got her vision back yeah so what do you think is next for her I mean it seems like she's gonna be allowed to kind of start a more intense training Maybe be somebody else, maybe go somewhere else, um, continue to learn how to be whatever it is after the training is done and you're nobody, then what happens? Uh, maybe she's going to go on a mission that has nothing to do with the Arya story. Right. And through that, maybe Arya comes back out and she finds someone. Comes across somebody on her list, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Well, that was it for Bravos, and our last two locations, we go to Vase Dothrak, where we see Danny being escorted to meet with sort of the main elder woman of the Dosh Kaleen, uh, Suad Fares, something like that. 
she's the lady in charge and she's talking to Danny and she sees right through this bravado and really knocks her down a peg by telling her, listen, we were all married to great calls once. We all thought we were going to take over the world and rule by our husband's side. And they all died and we all wound up here. And the same thing's going to happen to you. You're young. You still believe in that. But this is where you belong. And actually, we find out the various Kalasars have gathered here in Bayes Dothrak to discuss which cities to conquer next and what to do with Danny yep. because she broke the rules by leaving. So they're telling her she's going to be lucky if she's allowed to stay here. Do you think she's really in trouble? Oh, her storyline. I'm ready for some progression with her storyline. <laughs> um, I, th I think she's going to be in some trouble. Um, I don't know if we'll have a resolve for that next episode, but we know that those two cats are coming for her. Yeah, they're coming to look for her, uh, Jorah and Dario, but they're two guys, and this is a city full of thousands of Dothraki that have gathered. I mean, all the Kalasars have gotten together here. Yeah. So there's not a lot they can do about it unless Drogon shows up. I've been wondering, you know, these women essentially are slaves. And Seems it, yeah. what does Danny do best but to free the slaves and start an uprising against their huh. masters? Oh. Are these women going to be the next ones to take over? Um, they don't stand a prayer against all of these really forceful cows <clears throat> unless the dragon shows up. Perhaps. I just don't want the dragon to get hurt. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people he's going to have to roast. Yeah. And I don't know how she's going to feel about that, given that she did have a lot of love for Cal Drogo. True. But these people don't treat her with any respect. Maybe she'll want them all to join her. Whoa, that would... Including if she could the get cows. them on her side, her army's even bigger now. I mean, Drogo did agree to that right before he died and was trying to talk his people into it. But how is she going <laughs> to convince... I don't know, but that would be exciting. Um, their main thing is that they don't ever want to cross the sea, right? It's the great poison water. If the horses can't drink it, it's dangerous. So if she could figure out a way to get around that, mm -hmm. um, this is a lot of land for them to sack, a lot of things for them to take over. Uh, you never know. But I see what you mean about the lack of progression because we have this basically being reiterated to us, the She's danger. back there. <clears throat> And then you go over to Marine, and we have a lot of wasted time with these two scenes. I mean, you spend a lot of time with Varys, who's interrogating this woman, Vala, uh, one of the Sons of the Harpy allies, essentially to find out that she has this information that he threatens, well, in a nice way, saying he'll help her and her son get out of there if she shares it. And we find out that what that is, is the former slave masters of Yunkai, Astapor, all the places she took over, have actually been financing the Sons of the Harpy. Yep. So you have Tyrion in a room trying to entertain Grey Worm and Masandi. I mean, what was all of this about? It wasn't even that funny. <laughs> yeah, you didn't like that, that scene at all. Normally he's killing it anytime he's on screen. We went from him befriending a dragon last episode to five minutes of dead air time, really. It well, was I think they have to show us how they start to get a grasp and start to take uh, at least logistical control of the land. I think they have to show us or else we'd be like, how do they already know this already? How are they already finding well, out? That makes know? sense. And logistics, what they're saying is that the only way they can defeat them the sons of the harpy is to hunt them down so Varys is going to send little birds to deliver a message to all the leaders what does that mean get them to all come to a certain spot so they can ambush them yeah it would help if Tyrion could figure out how to use the other two dragons for that yeah <laughs> if he does another episode without the dragons too I know that's Fuck, what are they doing are they point, eating now like, they didn't leave. So can we assume they're eating now? Because I guess so. Fuck. But like at this point, that's all we want to see, right? We want to see them take over Marine or the dragons come out or Danny get back to Westeros. I mean, this is really like going very far backwards, like you said. And, and even without that, it's not exciting what's happening. So we've had enough of this conquer the East thing. We've seen it in Yunkai and Astapor and now Marine. I don't care how they're going to do it. I don't care if they don't do it. Just get back to what's important. Yeah. Danny should not be this boring. 
Danny, she's had that issue from the beginning. She had that one season when she took over. She got the slaves free and she bought them all and took over. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but then last season was kind of like her trying to figure out this place. And uh, But one thing I do want to say is that I th- I'm interested to see how Varys and Tyrion take over. I think that's going to be intriguing. That's not going to be boring. It could be. I mean, I don't like how they handled it. They had some decent chunk of time here to dig into that, and I don't really like what they did with it here. So hopefully it will be better in the future. Any other thoughts on Daenerys, Marine, anything in this episode, really? No, I think I think that's it. That sums it up. Okay. Before we move on to our Raven ratings, I wanted to ask you if right now you were asked to tell us who wins in this who do you think it's going to be who wins the iron throne do you mean because yeah. i don't think the iron throne is going to be important by True. the time we get to the it's end it's going to be season. about the white walkers this is going to be you know i think that's what the whole implosion of king's landing is that's going on the lannisters are going to be taken down um the high sparrows i think the whole point was to take that out of the picture just take out the Iron Throne, take out the politics, take out the Great Sept of Baelor, which stood for corruption and everything else. Let's get back to focusing on what's important in this kingdom. And, you know, I don't know what that's going to mean as far as after you defeat the imminent threat of the White Walkers. Is it a council of rulers? Is it separate lands the way we used to have rulers of the north, south, east? But I don't think it's going to be the way we picture it now with an Iron Throne and one leader and everything that's gone into that. Yeah, I think... With what you, the way you're going, I think that's actually that'll feel better at the end instead of like now we have a new ruler. The end. Right. This will be history to repeat itself. Yeah, <laughs> I think this will feel better. Question: So these White Walkers, you know how they have the, those fucked up looking horses, like White Walker horses. Mm-hmm. Could a dragon become a White Walker? I suppose any creature that dies could. So oh. even even. A dire wolf. We know from the books that there was an elk that was dead that a man was riding. So That's right. Oh, we have a few dead... Uh, the dire wolves dire that are wolves. dead are all headless, so oh, I think okay. we're safe there. Whew. But if one was to die without being headless, ooh, that could be scary. And that's another question. You know, we kept saying, is there going to be another side to these White Walkers? We haven't seen much in this world that's all good or all bad. Do they have a backstory of their own? Or are they just a force of pure evil? Do they speak? Could they tell a backstory? Well, I mean, the (laughs) shambling reincarnated dead are something different. But I think the White Walkers themselves, that ruling class, I think they probably can. And I think they probably do have something of their own going on. Ooh, two seasons ago... There was that White Walker scene where they had a baby. Is there yeah. a significance in that baby, or is it just us show them showing us like how they make new special walkers? Right, because I don't. That wasn't just a reanimated thing. They were taking live, live baby. babies, not dead skeletons, and it looked like they were making him one of them instead of one of the walkers. Um, and it looked almost to be a religious ritual. We talked about it way back when that. This looked like some kind of place of worship, and they put the baby on something like an altar. So maybe they do have their own purpose that makes sense to them. I I hope we get some more of that backstory eventually. Even if they are bad, I want to find out what drives them. They've been trying to take over and move farther south throughout the centuries. We do have the history of the Long Night, when the children and the First Men first got together and made a truce because they had to stand together against the White Walkers. Right. And these nights that lasted 10 years long and everybody had to be in fear for their lives. So why has this been happening throughout history? Mm-hmm. And It'd be nice. That'd be an intriguing storyline. What if R. Martin did a whole book just on the White Walkers? It'd be awesome. I think that, you know, book six and seven... The Winds of Winter and A Dream of Spring. It seemed like Six was going to be a lot about that. An extended winter, a night, a fight with the White Walkers. So that's what I mean. We're into episode three already, and we're not even close to any of that happening. 
all of this culmination and this action that I thought we were going to see, the impending threat, the, the snows coming in, the weather changing, winter is coming. Yeah. We're still in that whole same storyline that we were before. It doesn't seem to be changing fast enough. How are they going to get to that climax quick enough? I just, I don't want to end season six thinking it was the same old Game of Thrones. How do you wrap all that stuff up in one season? I have a theory for a backstory for the White Walkers. What's that? So those special walkers, not the, you know, the animated dead. Mm-hmm. They're old kings that have been killed in the Game of Thrones in past battles. Oh, How crazy would that be? A that solid story. That makes a lot of sense because we know one of them was a former Night's Watch man, a Lord Commander. Yeah. So technically he's kind of like a king in his own way of, you know, of the Night's Watch. Maybe they're all different kinds of rulers like that. That have been stabbed in the back. Kings in the north, yeah. kings of the Iron Throne. Yeah, betrayed. And that would explain why they want to come back down south and destroy. And that really would make them totally bad. Which I can get behind killing them if we know they're bad. Yes. Well, we know they're bad. As long as we get the backstory <laughs> of why. why. What are they about? That would be the perfect reason. Yeah. That could be They cool. want their king back. Their kingdom back. They hmm. will reign again. But it has to be winter in order for them to be able to live that far south. So that's why they want that's the long night. That's why it's night. taking so long. It's got to progress all the way down. Boom. So overall, what do you think about episode three, Oathbreaker? Raven rating. I'm going to go with... So last week we had episode one. I gave it 8.5. Episode two, 9.2. I'm going to go with... And this, by no means, is a sign that I didn't like this episode, but I got to go a little lower. Yep. 7.5 Ravens. Okay. And people, if I go five down, that's when you know I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) 7.5 is still excellent. We hardly even ever get to fives because this is Game of Thrones. Right. Walking Dead fives. That world. Absolutely. I don't know that I've ever gone below a seven, a six maybe on this. So I'm going to give it a seven, which is kind of low for me for Game of Thrones because of the feeling like the pacing was off. I kind of chalk that up to you have one director do every two episodes. So we had the same director do one and two. Now you switched over to somebody new to do three. Brand new directors. Never directed Game of Thrones before. Brand new. Um, He's got to do his own setup now. Mm -hmm. So perhaps four will be his climax. But, you know... I hope it's more streamlined throughout the rest of the season. We can't be going back and forth so harshly in that way. Yeah. Um, however, overall, yeah, there was a lot of great backstory to it. There was a lot of what could be out of this. Primarily, I was frustrated with Danny and Marine and a little frustrated with not getting the end of Brand's vision. So I hope didn't we see me. that in the future. That didn't bother me. And like we said uh, last episode, there's no, you know, there's no fillers episodes in Game of Thrones. This was definitely not a filler. This was a huge setup. A lot of storyline, a lot of putting the pieces in the right spot. And I'm excited for this week. Very excited. And specifically, who owns the throne this week, Jason? Who owns the throne? Who's your favorite characters for episode three? I got to think about that. You go first. Okay, well, mine's easy. I was really in between two this week. I almost gave it to Small John because I am so sure that he's lying. But just in case he's not, that could make him the worst guy in the world. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go with Howlin' Reed. Been waiting to see this character on screen for a long time. I think there's so much more to his backstory we have yet to learn. I'm very eager to find out what that is. Oh, boy. Who owns the throne for me, man? You know what? I'm going to go with the boring answer, Jon Snow 2.0. Oh, Lord, this was my least favorite character of the episode. Why did you like him? Yeah, as far as what he he did, yeah, that would probably make the least favorite. But he was back. We learned he's not evil mm-hmm. or retarded or something. <laughs> yep. And uh, he made a decision. And we may not like what the decision is yet mm-hmm. because we don't know what it means. But I think this decision is going to change the course of Game of Thrones. I think this is a big turning point for him. And we'll be talking about this. Well, I love that every episode I want to pick Jon Snow. So for the one I don't, you pick him. Yeah. It's great balance. Jon Snow 2.0. All right. Jon Snow 2.0. <laughs> 
Let's go over to my favorite episode, Wolf Watch. We had another sighting this week, unfortunately. Not my favorite Potentially right now. dead sighting. It's not him. I, 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 I will not. I refuse to think that's him. <laughs> I don't really believe it's Shaggy Dog either. We have heard some muttering about this. You know, he's distinguished from the other direwolves because of his black fur. So did this fur really look that black? Did the head look way too small? Was it just a really large regular wolf? Um, you know, this could be a fake. Either way, we have been told that there was a direwolf on screen, so we have to put it up there on Wolf Watch. What are your thoughts, people? Is this a ruse? Is this actually Shaggy Dog? Is he actually dead? Or is Small John trying to get one over on Ramsey Bolton? Let us know via our email, contact at coffeeclatscrew.com. Wolf Watch still on this, one that we have not seen. When Jon Snow wakes up, where's his wolf? He was right by his side before he left that room. We saw Ghost there, and now Ghost is not with him again. I am continually amazed that he was warned by several people several times to keep Ghost at his side. Now, after being murdered, not having his wolf near him to protect him, wouldn't you think upon awakening, the very first thing you would be sure of is, I don't care what people think, I don't care who it scares anymore, Ghost is not leaving my effing side from now on. Yeah. Because the thing is, if we go by Beric Dondarrion as a marker here, it's not like Jon Snow can't die now. If he's just been reanimated by Melisandre's Lord of Light magic, right. resurrected the same way Beric was, he, he can die. die. Many times. Um, but is a direwolf the kind of, per, uh, kind of animal where you can keep it by your side? I feel like they're more of a freeform partner. They go where they please. In a certain way, they do have a lot of loyalty. They will stay near their master if they're in danger. I think that they could be closer, that Jon Snow has kind of been keeping him at bay up until now because at the Night's Watch, certain people were scared of him or in the books, he was upsetting the giants, so he had to lock him up in another area. So he was getting a little lax with how close he kept him. And that's something that's missing. I think I would have liked an embrace when he reanimates an embrace from ghost yeah comes up like jumps up on him and they hug or something That'd any be dope. kind of moment it was kind of weird that they paid so much attention to the camera focus on ghost prior to his waking up and yeah. after he's nowhere to be found right i wonder so or does it scare ghost that he's coming back alive because ghost jumped up when he was in the last season when he was about to right which i attributed to i thought he was had been warging into him in his death and now that it seems that's not the case although you know maybe we just don't know if he did lose pieces of himself maybe he really doesn't remember what happened maybe he was yeah that'd be cool i mean i don't think beric mentioned something about that not really remembering the full details afterwards of some of his death so i think we have a lot to learn yet about what happens there Looks like an interesting title. If we go to upcoming, do a sneak peek through the heart tree. We have episode four is Book of the Stranger. Yet I could not find a description anywhere, even a short one online for what that's going to be about. Well, we do know that the long lost Littlefinger will be back. Yes. Which is good because we were wondering what's he up to. It'd be interesting to see what his next moves are. Does, mm -hmm. he, does he reset or does he just keep going along but just tweak it a little bit? Right. Um, you know, he's, we still have yet to see his full story. So I'm excited about that. And we do see that, I forget their names already, those two cats are going to look for Danny. Uh, yes, Jora and Dario. I have a feeling we're not going to see dragons and Jon Snow's part... Maybe short next week. Well, they better pick it up somewhere else then. Um, Stranger in the Faith of the Seven, you know, they have the seven aspects that represent all the different gods. Mm -hmm. And people are always worshiping one or the other. Many, they have a favorite aspect that they go to. The seventh god that nobody ever talks about is the Stranger because he represents death. And he's not oh. really worshiped by anyone. Seems like the guy to many faces, that's almost all they worship. And there is some form of the stranger in every religion. You know, with the Lord of Light, you have the light and the darkness. The darkness seems to represent death and, and bad things. 
what that will mean in terms of episode four, I'm not sure, but I'm interested to know if the title name does have meaning the way it has been holding meaning for previous episodes. Oh, it should. It'll have some kind of meaning. So that's it for this episode. Uh, please let us know what your thoughts were on the episode. You can Facebook us or email us at contact at coffeeclasscrew.com. And just a reminder that we are now on Google Play Music, so you can listen to us. If you or your friends have an Android phone, tell them just to go to Google Play Music and download us there. And on that note, tell your friends about us. Spread the word. Let's rate and review. Let's build this army. Write a review, give us some stars, give us a rating, and uh, help us keep this boat afloat. Until next week, this round's on me. This round is on me! Please hang up and try again.